If you're looking for proven ways to take your fundraising results to the next level, you're in the right place. Welcome to the Intentional Fundraiser Podcast, hosted by Tammy Zonker. Tammy has trained and led thousands of nonprofit organizations to collectively raise more than a half billion dollars and is also recognized as one of America's top 20 fundraising experts. This is the podcast where Tammy equips and empowers amazing fundraising pros like you to transform your fundraising so you can transform the world. And now, let's hear from Tammy. We'll start the show in a moment after a word from a few amazing fundraisers about what they value most as members of Tammy Zonker's Fundraising Transformers community. I have had the honor of learning and growing from Tammy. She has really helped us understand how to communicate better with our donors, how to make sure that our mission is at the front line of their decision making. And she has just been an absolute joy to learn from. That's Stevie Shoemate from Chapters Health Foundation in Tampa, talking about how being a growth member is helping her communicate better with her donors. When you join Tammy's Fundraising Transformers community as a growth member, you get live training and coaching with Tammy twice each month. You can get your burning questions answered during her live Ask Me Anything sessions. You get to join in Tammy's live weekly hot topic discussions. You can engage with other fundraising pros like you and her private and safe online community. And you get 24-7 access to her growing library of on-demand fundraising training videos and tools. Here's Jenna Sapluski from the Coalition for Children, Youth, and Families in Milwaukee talking about how being a growth member in Tammy's Fundraising Transformers community is helping her grow her capacity, her skills, and her confidence as a fundraiser. It's been so helpful for me to grow my capacity and my skills. I feel more confident uh, knowing that I have Tammy and the Fundraising Transformers group for support. I've reached out to Tammy and the group on several occasions, whether it be just some wording for an email to say, hey, can somebody give me just a little bit of feedback on this? I'd love your thoughts before I send this out for an initiative. We'll hear more later in the show about why Jenna values having access to Tammy's members-only, on-demand training library. To learn more about the Fundraising Transformers community, visit fundraisingtransformed.com forward slash growth. Today on the Intentional Fundraiser podcast, I am delighted to be talking with Francesco Ambroghetti about the role of emotion in fundraising. Francesco leads UNICEF's innovative and alternative finance area for children. And over the years, he's been fundraising internationally for like more than 20 years across four continents with organizations like World Wildlife Fund, Doctors Without Borders, and the Red Cross World Bank. He's also professor of fundraising at Bologna University in Italy and has authored various books, including Emotion Raising and Hooked on a Feeling. And if that wasn't enough, he's a conference keynote speaker. In fact, that's how Francesco and I met. We were both keynote speakers at the Nonprofit Storytelling Conference in San Diego last year. And then earlier this year, we were both speaking at the AFP International Conference in Las Vegas. Francesco, welcome to the show. Thank you, and thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Tammy. Oh, well, the pleasure is all ours. 
So, you know, first, Francesco, I'm always curious how people find their way to becoming a fundraiser. How did you get your start in the profession? Uh, there are many ways, as you know, each one has its own story, different stories. I don't think there is one story, and I don't know, maybe you can edit this in the podcast, it'll be a long story. <laughs> but um, apart from, you know, doing some grant work for some NGOs and other things in the art sectors, well, I was finishing my master's. I was here in New York, uh, completing my studies, and and I ended up meeting this uh, community group in Lower East Side. At the time, New York was uh, in this big, uh, I still is, but at the time, it was pretty a strong gentrification program, right, driven by Robert Moses. And the East Side was particularly affected. So this community in Lower East Side was the, the you know, Lower East Side is where all the first generation of migrants were arriving. Poor people expelled from Europe. Scottish, Germans, Italians. And so they were resisting about the fact that this will be completely gentrified. And, and so they managed to buy the land and the buildings and the, the inhabitants were, were also trained to be carpenters and plumbers so that they can fix it. The, the interesting part was also that they, they did all this raising money. Basically, so this was all possible only because in Manhattan, at the center of this gentrification, you know, Wall Street, this community were able to raise money to buy the land, buy the buildings, and and stay where they are. So that was sort of a like, uh, wow, this is incredible. So the community has the power to find resources to to fight a big movement to this capitalists, but raising their own money. So this has also inspired me to move on into this, this business and just say, well, this is something so powerful that can change so much. And it's all about raising the money that need to fulfill your mission. So that was the, the beginning, if you want. Yeah, I love that. And I can see that it would be inspirational. I think sometimes when we are so in the weeds of the work, it's easy to lose sight of the power and the inspiration of philanthropy. Yeah, yeah that's exactly it. Yeah. That's a great story. So first of all, congratulations. Um, emotion raising and hooked on a feeling, they're amazing books. They are not the kind of books that you read once and put on the shelf. <laughs> they're the kind of books I think that you read, you dog ear the pages, you go back to them, you keep them handy. And you know, one of the fundamental truths of the book is that giving evokes those feel-good chemicals like oxytocin, right? The love hormone. Hence the name, the title, Hooked on a Feeling, which I thought was very clever. Uh, so school us a bit on behavioral economics and how emotions drive our decisions and shape our behaviors, particularly related to philanthropy and giving. Yeah, uh, Tammy, this is a really broad question and actually requires course itself. Then in fact, that's what I thought is <laughs> in the university. No, because it's a really, really fast evolving, broad field, multidisciplinary. In fact, it's not just behavioral economics, it's just a branch that looks at the behavior in a, in a uh, objective way. I'm trying to be more on the side of neuroscience, which is again, it's, it's a big broad, which includes psychology, of course, includes neurology and includes economics and marketing. So it's a very vast field. Uh, and uh, but the assumption has been relatively new, but also recent, uh, but also uh, now I would say about 34 years, the uh, acknowledgement that the more we know the brain, so the where we are 
the way we are, the way we evolved, the more we understand that the assumption that the stars did, you know, we are school, we just say cogito ergo sum, I am because I think. Uh, as a human being, we are superior or we are what we are because we are able to think. We know, we act instinctively, right? Actually, it's not true. And actually, there is a, the one that one of the first book is just say is, is, a, is actually a lie. The, the Descartes mm. is a lie. We are not what we are because we think, but we are what we are because we feel. Mm. And, Love that. And, and this is not just a case. It's a, it's a biological, right? It's a neurological part. So we our decisions are, and this is also Daniel Kahneman and his Nobel Prize research and book. Our um, 90% of what we decide to do is driven by this big emotional part of the brain, which is sort of a subconscious, not totally unconscious, that is mostly based on what we what we touch, what we see, what we hear. Um, then our rational brain elaborates on this, and we decide what to do. But mostly we are unaware. So the, the point is that when we are angry, when we are sad, when we are surprised, uh, we instinctively have a unlock a reaction that is nearly physical. You know, you want to just smash somebody in the face or smash <laughs> the door when you're hungry, right? I know it's a typical thing. I don't know if you watch any sports, but if you're really into a game and somebody misses, you know, you really want to just, <laughs> and somebody does. <laughs> that means that it's not totally reaction or instinctual because you need to have uh, the concept of, of anger and sadness. Otherwise, you're not going to be, it's not all about such, such a, it's simple, but that's what drives our decision. So that's why it's important because the giving is substantially activated by this dynamic, by these emotions applied. Of course, and I explain this very much in the book because people especially think, oh, well, therefore you need to make people angry or crying. You know, it's not that, that simple because you can numb emotion. Uh, imagine now the, the example of the Nazi in the, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the camp, right? They were able to completely ignore uh, things that you would see. How can you not see the suffering and the pain, right? Right. So it's not just a simple cre- create a reaction so that you instinctively react, but ignite this, this emotions are so powerful that then move people to do things. And that's the distinction is if you want people to do things, like buying a stuff, donate, signing a petition, you have to act on this emotion. If you want people to reflect and think and change their mind, you have to use rationality, you have to use numbers, you have to use logic. But that's why giving is, a, is, a, is, a, is an act, it's an action, right? You have to donate online, you have to write a check, you have to pick up a phone. If you want people to do that, you need to uh, leverage these emotions, of course, in, in the right way. So, in, and the more neuroscience looks into that, the more proof that this is the fact, proof that then when these are activated, the, the brain releases hormones. You mentioned the love hormones, the oxytocin, but it's not the only one. When we are listening to a story, watching a video, they, there are different types of, of chemical release. One is definitely cortisol, but the other is, uh, sorry, oxytocin. The other is cortisol. This is stress hormone. So, you need to get people get stressed and uncomfortable because, in fact, what we're dealing with are not simple, easy causes, right? They are, we're talking about violence against women, uh, right to abortion, violence against animals, I don't know, children trafficking. So these are things that you need to provoke stress. 
then you're going to just say there is a way to get out of your stress if you contribute to that then you're going to feel better contribute to a bigger so it, it's a it's a very complex dynamic if you want that it's also interesting that you can observe in a way there are labs neural labs and you can put people and where they're watching things ads and websites you can clearly see sort of a reaction and you can just measure your heartbeat is higher you you start to your skin conductance is going to be more to duration you get your eyes are dilated so that things you can you can really measure and you can and actually i did and, and people do just say okay this is actually moving people and this is actually not and what when we say when you know when people say okay tommy would you donate to these causes right you you're going to get your your answer based on what but what you answer is not what you really do, it's what you think. Because when it happens to do, it doesn't correspond to, to what you're saying. That's because the rational part doesn't correspond to what you do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So essentially, people are emotional donors looking for and, 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 and may rationalize their emotional decision to give. Right, exactly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, wow. It's like when you buy a... Uh, and another pair of shoes that you don't really need, right? And yes. Then you're going to say, well, actually, I need it because the other are, are worn or because, I, you know, just try all sort of justification. But the initial go on Amazon and things and buy or on the shop is it, totally emotional. Yes. I don't know why you had to bring that up, Francesco. I don't know. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Not, my mind. <laughs> don't, don't criticize my shoe purchases. No, 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 no. <laughs> well, here's a question. We're emotional donors. Like we feel something, we feel a stress, we feel like there is that emotional catalyst and we that call to action, that response. Right. How do we keep the emotional flame ignited after the initial donation? Especially for those who give maybe in response to a major disaster, like a tsunami or a hurricane or or a man-made disaster, like, mm -hmm. you know, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Or what if they're giving in what we call a you know a rage giving response in response to an incident or an issue that angers us you know like the murder of george floyd or when planned parenthood was defunded here in the us how do we keep that flame alive that's that's a very good question and actually it is actually the the book anything that you mentioned is all about this and I think, you know, in, in, in our profession, we, we put everything under retention, right? Or, or attrition, you know, and we just think that it's a pure technical thing. Oh, but look, uh, if you just do thank the people that donate, show what you do with the money and ask again, everything will be fine. It will not be. This is way too technical way to look. You mentioned, you know, race donors. In fact, you mentioned disaster donors. Actually, in UNICEF, right, we are dealing with a huge wave of new donors that came through either COVID response or Ukraine. And they are, we struggle with the same issue. I remember, this is an anecdote. Uh, one of my first experience was during the first tsunami, right? In, in, with Boxing Day after Christmas. Totally unprepared. Digital was not even a thing at the time, and we were submerged by you know, the amount of money. And we thought, okay, so if we go back to them and just say thank you for your donation, this is what we're doing, we still need your help, how can it be difficult? People came and donated, and we had a disaster response. <laughs> None of them returned. So at that point, you know, 
how is that and why is that? And we get the same exactly plant parenthood, get the huge spike of and, and same SDLU during uh, after the plant gets to power, right? Remember, this spike and they lost most of them because they, they say, I sign up and I don't see any of the things that I find. It's in George Floyd, you can mention many things. The emotions are so strong that are sort of unpredictable. Uh, and in fact, you know, the one of the, it's a Minnesota, I don't remember there is a liberation fund. It, it's a small fund that just pay for the bailout. Oh, it was the ACLU. No, 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 no. It was, no? Uh, was, was uh, with, uh, during George Floyd. There was a small organization that paid for the bailout. Of oh, yes, for uh, bailing out protesters. So yeah. giving so that protesters were not kept in jail. And, and they get 30 million in one night. Yeah, and 30 million. They, they, they normally get 1 million overall in one year. So only people were upset is to say, why don't you spend the money? They just say, well, guys. <laughs> it, it, so you understand that the, the response was so much dramatic comparing to the capacity organization. So we have this big, how are we going to keep this plane? I think most of the biggest mistakes, and I also investigate, you know, Coney campaign, uh, Icebook challenge, same thing, is that we think exactly that since people came on board on this uh, wave of rage or sadness, it's simply to just keep asking and get them. Actually, they didn't because they come out to a totally disconnected to you, right? They come on, on an event, come on a, on a and they find a way to deal with their hunger, with their sadness, to donation. They find you, but they don't really donate to SALU or UNICEF or, or Planta, right? So the, the, the mistake we all do, just say, go back and ask for more. Yeah. So let me just pause. Yeah. So just for clarity. So they're they're not really giving to the organization. No. They're giving to like try and feel better about and, that horrible and, thing. Or making a point. So I just say, I I hate Trump decisions and policy on migration. I support ACLU. Yes. And the same happened, you know, during, you know, with candidates, right, uh, in, in, in the United States. So it's, it's a making a point, dealing with my hunger. Uh, what can I do? Uh, the only way I can do is just making a stand, making a point, and I donate for ACLU, Planned Parenthood, blah, blah, blah. Okay. But they don't really want to support that organization. It's their way to deal with the grief and the anger. And then you come back months after, imagine, right? Six months after, you just say, well, now it's the time for you to give an extra thing. And they say, I don't even remember. I supported that. And what, by the way, what do you have done to, yeah. you know, deal with this? The, the point of my book and all the things is that don't, uh, these donors are not your donors because they did deal with it during the emergency and the race. They, they were trying to deal with this thing, making a point. The mistake you do is to not try to know them better, which is all the point. So I always say the first thing should not be even the thank you, should not even be the the upgrade, the request, the conversion. It should be thank you, of course. But let me take time to know you better, Tammy. Why you came on board? What was your point? What we can do better to deal with your rage? And try, this dialogue to know you better is the beginning of keeping those doors. Not all of them, of course. Most likely, 80% of them will not going to continue to give. They will give in the moment. But the, those 20%, they really now just say, okay, I'm not giving just because of rage or, or response to the stuff. I really like that. I really, and, and you know me now, you know that now I have, 
I believe in this cause, I have these values, I have three kids, you know. And this is the beginning of a different relationship. So you can keep the, some of those donors if you know them better. How many organizations take the time to do that? Very few. Because all our machines just say, okay, now I need more. So go back and convert into regular donor. Go back and upgrade and go back and ask for more. This is the only thing we know, which is not wrong. I'm not just saying it's wrong because, of course, asking is a way to engage them. But the point is, if you don't bother to know your donors, uh, especially those that came for the first time, and so if you know better, you can just say, okay, these are very committed, and I keep it there. These are not committed to different things. These are very happy, I keep it here. These are not very happy. Why they're not happy? Because we mail them too often, because the, we mistake the names. Because So you see, you start seeing your donors in a different categories. That is not just the amount they're given, the recencies they're given, the frequencies they're given. And I think this is the biggest discussion, even in Ice Bucket Challenge, same issue, right? That discussion, yeah. big success, they are unable to keep it because they you don't even bother to go back to people just say, okay, great, you've done this. You want to support ALS or no? You believe in this. Why is that? You have somebody that's close, somebody. With, and they, they completely ignore that. And that's why the flame is missed because we keep them all in the same thing. And the only thing we can do is ask for more. Yes, yes. So ways to get to know our donors better. Certainly surveys are one tool. Mm-hmm. And it feels like the trick is to, like, how, if we can get more of them to participate in the surveys, uh, what advice or counsel do you have for how we get to know them better? Well, it, it's, it's the simple answer is a dialogue, simple, which is, of course, survey is one thing, but dialogue is it's a one-to-one conversation, you want to understand, oh, my God, how can I do? I've too many donors. Well, you know, it depends all in the type of, results and we see that you know uh when i was uh, in, uh, in italy you know we had this department called donor law they were just doing just that as a dialogue nothing nothing will substitute the dialogue no survey will substitute the yeah. dialogue yeah the second thing is to try to ask people how are we doing and this is a simple five faces from green to red or, or one to ten tell us how we did it how do you find the experience Every time somebody can just say, okay, this is also healthy to understand uh, better the donor because those that bother to respond, they care, right? It's like yes. you. Sometimes if, if you're, you know, in the commercial, you get these things, how we do it. Sometimes it works. But if you're really upset, you just say, that was terrible. They would treat me badly. You mistakenly, right? And then you start again a different relationship. So survey is important. By the way, survey you, depends what you have. So survey has to ask very few questions. We have, and what we find out, the most important driver or what the, you should ask are two. One, how committed you are to your organization from one to ten, because that tells you somebody somebody passing by or very close. And second, how happy are you with our organization? How satisfied are you? These two give you. A different picture. So though they are highly satisfied or committed, have a huge life and value concerns so that's hard to distinguish one from the other. It's really helpful. Thank you. Um, you know, I'm a 
a huge believer in the power of emotion and our listeners and members of my fundraising transformer community hear me say all the time, nothing happens until somebody feels something. And yet often as fundraisers, we encounter resistance from board members or executive leadership, or even our program staff saying our fundraising messaging is too emotional right? Or, or they, they want us to water it down in some ways. We're back with growth member Jenna Zapluski from the Coalition for Children, Youth, and Families in Milwaukee, talking about how having 24-7 access to Tammy Zonker's on-demand training library is helping her become a better fundraiser. Since joining the Fundraising Transformers group, I have had the opportunity to go back and rewatch a host of trainings on such a wide variety of topics from how to work with my team members inside my organization to how to get my board excited and passionate about fundraising and topics like how to reach out to a donor and how to get a meeting with a donor. Here's Stevie Shoemate from Chapters Health Foundation in Tampa, sharing that as a growth member in Tammy's Fundraising Transformers community, you're never alone. How members of the community support one another by sharing resources and lessons learned to help solve tough fundraising problems. You oftentimes learn from other people across the entire country, which is really nice because it helps you understand that you're not alone in your uh, fundraising challenges. It, um, I was just sharing with someone the other day that it really helped me feel like I wasn't the only one experiencing these challenges, knowing that someone from New York or New Hampshire or Texas, um, people all over the US with varying communities and different fundraising strategies, we're all in this together. At the end of the show, we'll hear why members enjoy learning from Tammy and what you can expect when you join as a growth member in her Fundraising Transformers community. To learn more about the Fundraising Transformers community, visit fundraisingtransformed.com forward slash growth. What advice can you give us when we encounter resistance to, to the use of emotion or at best, again, that pressure to water down the emotion? Well, there are two things. First of all, it's not either or, uh, and it's not just uh, one way to express an emotion. As I said, the emotions is, is a, a vast, idealistic core emotions, and there are many nuances, right? Second is that there is science behind, and, and in most often with the colleagues and the board, just say, look, this is not what I think. This is not what the same thing. Practice and science shows this is how we get people to move donate. If we wanted to change their mind or inform them, okay. But if we wanted to then this is how it works. Doesn't mean that everything should be um how can I say stereotypically dramatic, you know, tear jerking or, or showing things that are no, this is not the but and that's why you get a test, right? To say, okay, so the best thing let's test different type of, of messages and see how people respond. There are thousands of examples, put a smiling child and, and, a, and a sad child and a sad child who will speak. That, that different way to, to, to picture that and to tell the story, but this is how it works. If you wanted people to move, that's, that's normally how you're going to convince. It's not an easy battle. You still have this uh, conflict argument of pornography, of poverty and all mm. these things. And 
I think that there is a merit because there has been a lot of stereotypical and and badly done short-term thinking about that, the short-term fundraising about that. But it fundamentally is true. You need to disturb people, first of all, because it's disturbing the cause of this. Then you need to show them that with their contribution, things get better. It doesn't mean to make them the hero, not at all. I don't believe in that. But it needs to show the value of what they do. So they feel better, but they contribute to something. Yeah. This only happened with the emotions. And then, you know, I found it strange that the same resistance that we find internally, I don't see against commercial world, against advertising, against cinematography, against uh, anything where, where this is pretty common practice, right? Nobody just say, oh, look, the Godfather is too emotional. Or I just say, yeah. you know, yeah. or, right? So... Uh, I, I just think uh, I, we have to be careful. I agree on the fact that sometimes the stereotypical and the short-term thinking is hurting and is becoming uh, too damaging. I agree on that. But having said that, my only point, like for you, I believe, the, the North Pole is a story. If you have a good story that is real, that is reflecting the reality where we work in, of course, with the right protection of vulnerable subjects. But yes. if the story is right, the story always wins because it's true and because it works better than the script. Yeah, I totally agree. Like clear, simple human, and yet honoring the person whom story we're telling, right? So it, it, what is the, the phrase like, tell the story from the scar, not the wound? Exactly, exactly, exactly. Yes. But you know, I think it's time, I mean, for me, how are you going to get the attention, only the attention of donors, I don't know, on children in Yemen, Syria, after 10 years that nobody even cares and now care more about Ukraine? How are you going to, how are you going to get, because I'm going to show the statistics how many children die in Yemen of anger, or I'm going to just use the report, I'm going to use, it's impossible. We are in, in a difficult world, actually a horrible world, unfortunately, yeah. a difficult situation in which the only way you can catch attention and convince people is to tell in stories. Stories are not made of uh, only the nice ending, happy ending. You need to get Cinderella that lose the, 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 the shoes and uh, and just maybe miss the, the prince forever. You know, you have to create that moment, not create. The story create themselves to convince people. It's harsh and, you know, Otherwise, what's the reason why it exists? Because there is hunger, because there is despair, because women are neglected the right to fundamental rights, because of uh, migrants are, are still, in, and, and so on and so forth. We, yeah. Actually, I think we do a disservice and we are untrue to ourselves. We don't show this reality. Yes. You know, I often say that you can't truly appreciate the sweet taste of transformation or impact unless you've also tasted its bitter beginning. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Mm. Well, so then understanding the science of neuropsychology, that it comes with ethical responsibilities. You know, mm -hmm. we've, we've been talking about this, but there are there some, like, what are the boundaries that you recommend? You know, even in your work at UNICEF, what are some examples mm -hmm. of, I hesitate to say this, like, but brand standards that are your guide rails? Yeah. Um, it's very difficult. It depends really by the situation, right? And um, 
I think I think as I said, first of all, get the story as a driver. It's a real story. And it is done with the community, with the people you try to help, you know, shop uh, to be better. I don't even think that uh, a sensor making sensation or something works better. You know, sometimes the simplest thing works perfectly fine. But I don't know exactly. I mean, you know, in, the, in today's world, okay, what are the uh, ethical guidelines on the George Floyd? George Floyd were all over the world. Yeah. And, and it was harsh and, you know, excruciating to watch, but also, unfortunately, powerful to move people to perhaps enough. Can we stop George Floyd images? I don't and nobody can even if you want. Yeah. Can we stop the images from Ukraine? Coming up, I mean, I remember the huge discussion on it was this um, this kid dying on on one of the shores in Turkey, trying to you know yes, washed ashore. Yeah, yes. yeah, exactly. Uh, so it was okay. Now that that was also that was the famous photo on the Vietnam, right? The famous photo of the, of the girl. I know, just saying that we have to go, but you know, we need to respect and protect vulnerable people, of course, especially children. We cannot just simply. But in in a game of a story that exemplify you know the, uh, the the challenge and the problem and the terrible situation we're living, at some time we need to show you the what hell is. Yeah. Because yeah. Otherwise, I'm gonna if I tell you you don't see it, right? If you see it, it's only when you just start maybe realizing that you know, and even then it's becoming more and more difficult. That's the other point. You know, how many Ukrainian, you know, children, um, you know, dead, literally wounded, abandoned, you can, you can do more people, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I think that there must be an ethics because there must be a respect and protection of vulnerable people. There must be a, an avoidance of stereotypes, especially if it from white people and, and, and male and this type of thing. But if the story is true and it's real and it's, it's reflecting the reality you try to change, and if it's done in, in support and agreement with the community, I don't see there is a big issue. I think that there are many examples of people who do it right. And, and, and look, I, I also believe in sometimes there is a part. People wanted to see the challenge that is overcome, but they want to see the challenge. You know, why, why, why are you asking me for my help? Right. Yes, yes. And I think that you know, consent can play a role. So for example, if we take the case of George Floyd, I mean, what we saw was horrific, right? We saw a horrific murder, racial profiling, terrible. But I was inspired by the fact that his brother wanted that story, George's story to be shared worldwide so that it could mean something, so it could mo move right. something. And I think that we have to acknowledge, especially when we get pushback, that there is consent. You know, even Ahmaud Aubrey, like just through the work of our mutual friend, uh, Birgit Burton, who's the AFP global chairperson. And she, I mean, she works with Ahmaud Aubrey's mother and they founded the Ahmaud Aubrey Foundation and are doing such good work in his name. And so I think that to your point, that sharing that story, the truth of it, the pain of it, can be a catalyst and consent can be a tool in for us to really propagate and expand that story and really make true change. 
Yeah, no, and and look, I mean, I don't know. There are many examples. I think the famous campaign years ago, Charity Water, in which you know a little girl, I don't know if you remember, she was raising money for Charity Water and died tragically. Nothing. And then the mother and the father decided to use her story to raise more money for Charity Water and then go visit the project. That also, two stories she found. People find this is all. Oh, this is too much. This I find it really it's that very inspiring. Would you yes. the It was not pornography. This is actually very inspiring. A little girl had to raise money to build more water for kids like him that were less fortunate. Unfortunately died, but her gesture can inspire. In fact, I don't mean people are gonna get a large impact. This is not what we wanna show. I had a wonderful story, it's one of my favorites, it's this recycled orchestra, it's in Paraguay, this is a community that lives literally on a, on a landfill, right, garbage, mm -hmm. they leave it on the garbage, out of the garbage, pretty terrible condition, right, and here the only way the teacher finds to find a way to move the, the kids is to teach them music, but he only can teach classical music, so can you imagine the violin cost is out, so the Teach the local community to build the violins and all the things from the from what they found in, in the in the landfill from landfill, the rubbish. Yeah, yes. wow. so they, they have an entire orchestra made of recycled instruments. They play Vivaldi. They play so they 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 kick start and they're touring the world. So this is a wonderful story, right? Really, really wonderful story. But to get to there, I have to show you where they live. I yeah, have to, I have to get into the landfill. I have to show you with them. You know. Otherwise, you don't get it. You know, the, the nice part, which is beautiful, is, is hope and think. You only get it if you can see where they come Yeah, yeah. I think we as fundraisers and as organizations, like we've got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Right. Right? Exactly. And yes, like we've got to like make that okay. Like this uncomfortable feeling that I feel or that my board member or my executive director or my CEO feels in sharing the mm -hmm. trueness, the, even the rawness of the story, that means we're doing it right. Right, exactly. No, exactly. No, no, this is very important. And I think, you know, if you want, I wish that the our profession will use more the science in the sense that like the commercial do, so say, okay, let's see this how in lab, how people react, let's research, because then you will see that the how things working in a sense and it got subjective it is also on many of these discussions that means that i think and somebody said no that's what i think it's becoming i think you think it's never uh, a discussion based on okay what works yeah, right? yeah. for for the people you're trying to address not yeah. for everyone that's the other problem you try to convince everyone it, it doesn't work the same thing right if if you want to convince somebody about right to reproductive health it, it cannot just apply you know appeal to everyone what's your audience that's another important question yeah know your audience right know your supporter base which you've made that point a couple times like know why they care why they're giving to you or right. would be likely giving to you yeah okay. i mean i think that is the it is as you've so eloquently shared like it is a walk down a path between telling the truth and really the neuroscience of it and the results that are we know are possible to serve more people because more money was raised and just honoring and respecting those involved 
So it's a path and there there's a steep drop off <laughs> on yeah and so finding finding that balance and I I suspect in my experience too even as a fundraiser but also coaching and consulting with nonprofits is that it's an evolution. Organizations don't go from 0 to 100, right? It's like you get, let's get from 0 to 5. Let's mm-hmm. get from 5 to 10, right? And so it's a journey. Totally. Totally, 100%. Yeah. So can you tell us about a campaign that you think used emotion exceptionally well (laughs) and was like inspiringly uh, successful from a financial contribution perspective? Uh, There are are many. I mean, I think I find it strange that when I mentioned, for instance, only 2012, people forgot about campaign, which was a tiny organization in San Diego. They managed to get globally especially young people studying and donate and engage in hundreds of thousands and tens of thousands of millions raised about this obscure, you know, land, land, land warlord that in, in Uganda, you know, there was abducting children. Yeah. So that's for the listeners. It's Kony, K-O-N-Y. You can yes. search it on uh, yeah, Google. Yeah, it was one of the most iconic campaigns at the time. Yes. People forgot. But the idea was, was really, really wonderful. Was the idea just say, it's a terrible person, right? A criminal, still at large, abducting children in Uganda, by the way. So if we make him so famous, you know, just talking about him, diffusing, using social media and donating, we're just going to maybe move, move the authority to, to catch him. And at the same time, we can help children that are affected. And that was so simple and powerful because you, you, you use wonderfully this, this capacity to get rage because you're going to see, you know, what children suffering, but it's also going to get a purpose to just say, okay, what can I do? Make him famous, right? And donate. So it, it really, most wonderfully, was a, such a small, tiny organization. They raised, they raised so much and show with the right story, uh, with the right use of emotion, you can, you can really drive so many people into, and in a sense, if you look at simplicity and, and they give the sense of people, what can I do? Sometimes we just say, it's too big for me, and what can I do? It's hard. And so sometimes the, the bigger campaign are the one that have a simplest idea and, and also the, the fact that it's achievable, right? For me, I can see that I can contribute towards something. And I think this is for me still one of the Great campaign. And paradoxically, though, the, the, the sad story is also in the book. And this organization really bankrupt after that. Mm. They, they, they were not ready. There were too much money. They lost all the donor. They were really, literally nearly to, to the, yeah, nearly close to, to bankrupt. Yeah. Because again, they were unable to keep this claim alive. They were unable to go back to donors, understand who they are. Most of them, they were first time donor, young donors, Americans. And they didn't have the infrastructure in place to do that, of course. It's all a thing, but it's such a shame because I think every time we just light the flame like that, it doesn't matter if it's for Pony, if it's for reproductive health, if it's for, for George Floyd, and we let people down because we don't fulfill our promise, we don't come back. We create a gap, and because these are all people that then are going to be disillusioned in our poses. Or I would just say, next time, I just don't bother. I donated, they don't even acknowledge me, they don't come back to me, why should I? So I feel sad for Connie, I feel sad for 
I took a challenge. I will start for, for George Floyd because I think that these it's not just for the organization of great causes, but because for all our sector, we 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 are losing all the donors because we are unable to to fulfill the promise, get back to them, knowing better, and, yes. and keep them better. And we leave those donors really feeling disillusioned. Like, yeah. why should I even bother? What difference will it make anyway? Yeah. 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 So it really is. It's on us to continue carrying that torch. And yeah. I, I love that it, you had a department called the Donor Love Department. And I know that not all of, the, not all of our listeners are as large as UNICEF. But, you know, if you had a Donor Love Committee of volunteers who would make those phone calls, who would do the one-to-one calls about, it's incredible that you gave. Thank you so much. Why do you care so much about this cause or this issue or what inspired you to make that first gift to us? That that's how we can, even in a small organization or or a big organization, that's how we can move the needle and keep that fire ignited. Yeah, and the interesting thing you mentioned the the donor law was uh, we have an acquisition department that was doing all the acquisition of donors. Then we get the retention department. So they yes. were doing the thank you, the upgrade, the conversion, all the cost acquisition. Donor law was, was on top of that. Because all they were doing, they were just exactly do the initial call to know you better, the satisfaction. And, and one of the things that I always mention, people just say, what is the simple thing you can give an advice to make a difference in this? You know, I just say, well, believe it or not, it's called a birthday call, which is a simple call to say happy birthday. No other ask. You're important for us. This is an important day. We want to just call to say happy birthday. Things very simple. Now, when you see the results, we split the file in two. One, just get the same communication. One, just all the same communication and this call. There were three to five times giving more, three to five times lifetime value, just a simple call. Wow. Now, why is that? Because who is calling you for, for birthday today? Who is taking the time? Many of our donors that were uh, in the elderly side, and they were just the only call they had that day. Mm. And, and so, you see, when it comes to the practicality, it's that simple. Now, say, Oh, how can I have all the money and resources to call all my donors? But then just make the math. How much more money are you going to make with the simple call? And then you just factor in if you can do it or not. So because then it all comes down to that with a simple call to say at the verdict. Yeah, that human touch. We see you. We care. You're special. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Francesco, I could talk to you all day. (laughs) (laughs) yeah so i mean this is such a deep topic and we have so little time i just want to open it up is there anything else you want our listeners to know about the importance of emotion and donor engagement oh the many things as i said this is a very fast-evolving field especially outside our sector and so there are a number of direction you can take but definitely i just i think Ted Godin is, is a very good guide and on the marketing sphere you want to follow him uh one of my calling buddy but it's really i recommend to follow and to see what he's doing is called Paul Zach 
is the guide of this poverty officer chosen in, in giving Marias all a range of things he does. And recently he got this call is in for immersion. Immersion is basically very simple measuring through uh, an Apple Watch, similar. What are you feeling while you're watching a DRTV ad so, or, uh, or similar? And give exactly if it works or not and which part works or not in real time. So you have a very simple low-tech technology that can tell you if they, they add the website, that the email, you're watching, people are really engaging emotionally or not. So that you can just change, tweak, and see that thing. This is the latest thing he does, and I think it's very, very cool. And it's, uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful guy to, to also be in touch with. Oh, fantastic. So we'll include a link to some of those resources in the show notes, in addition to the link to your books and, and right. where to find you. All right. So Francesco, at the end of each episode, I'd like to ask a few rapid fire questions. Right. So you ready? Yep. All right. First one, what's the best fundraising advice you've ever been given? Um, I don't know if it's fundraising advice, but I think one of the best advice I had is just that you can spend a life um, making a point or you can spend a life making a difference. Mm, love that. This is uh, one of my mantras. Sometimes I end up into making a point, but then I realize <laughs> what's the point exactly. So it, it can yeah. be a lot and, and hard game, but you know, are you going to make a difference? With that? Yeah. Inspiring. Thank you. What, so this was a tricky one. What book do you recommend to our audience and why? Of course, in addition mm-hmm. to your two brilliant books. I, I think uh, Tribe for, for, from um, uh, Ted Golding for sure. Uh, I think Emotionomics from Dan Hill is another good, really, really good book. Um, and, and then uh, I think one book that I recommend because it's the way the story are talking to you and interplay and show these emotions it's it's all out Oster for Tritium, which is a big book, but it's intertwined various stories in a way that I think is very, very interesting and inspiring. Very good. Uh, what do you think are the three most important traits in a fundraising professional? I think uh, passion for sure, rigor. Rigor. Mm-hmm. And I think curiosity. Curiosity. Mm. Very, passion, rigor, and curiosity. Mm. Love it. What's your favorite fundraising tool or application? One of my favorite tools now is the um, this immersion tool that I mentioned before. I, I, this, I love it. Because, uh, I think if we all can use that, yeah. you can just say, okay, I have a new mail, a new copy, a new video. And actually just say to, but you don't need to have, if you have to say, I'll show you. You don't have to tell me what you think. And I can see if it works or not. That's yeah. Great. Test. I mean, it's a great testing tool. You, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And don't take it. I mean, we all know that our staff, ourselves, like we are not our target audience. No, of course. Of course. So it needs to be like a donor, a supporter yeah, yeah, who's target, close to target. you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. It's just like you can't edit your own writing either. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, now, this one could get you in a lot of trouble because I know you speak yeah. at a lot of conferences. Um, What's yeah, your, yeah. which is your favorite and why? 
Oh, I, I, I know I'm biased, but I really think that the no storytelling conference is, it is my favorite. Yeah. Uh, because I know I talk to people and, you know, maybe it is still on a naive side, if I can say that, in a sense that it's still comparing to the big conference, you know, the AFP and et cetera. But I think it's more in, in, but that's what makes it valuable, right? And people are just genuinely, they don't go for specialists. They don't go for, oh, I just only go for this. They really go eager to to know and to engage. And I like the idea there is a, a conference that is not about trip to the nation or 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 whatever, but it's, it's about storytelling. And I think it's one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's definitely on my top list. And of course, it's coming up October 27th through the 29th. Something mm-hmm. like that, end of October. I'll be keynoting there. Uh, Great. Yeah. Will we see you, Francesco, this year? I don't know. I'm not sure yet. Okay. All right. Well, I certainly hope so. You were fabulous last year. Um, last question. Knowing what you know now about fundraising, what advice would you give your younger self just starting out in the profession? Oh, to not listen to gurus. Not listen to gurus. Yeah. 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 And this is not disrespect to gurus or any, anyone, but I mean, I think, um, you know, when you're, when you're young and naive, you, you obviously need to for guidance. You, you just get drawn into the things, they all, but this guy and this woman is amazing. And I don't, I mean, I just, I'm in debt to many of them, let's say. But then the, the way you, you do fundraising is completely, in a way, different. It's completely, what you make and, and how the organization make it and then you firm it. So sometimes there are things that are given like a set in stone, right? And you listen to the conference and people say, I don't know. And you say, oh, and then you just think, find out that this is actually not true. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's, that's what the advice will give it to me. I like that. I mean, what it makes me think of is maybe when we follow gurus also, not only can it not be true to your point, but maybe it kind of shuts off our thinking, our okay. analysis kind of puts us into, you mentioned Seth Godin, like lizard brain, right? He coined exactly. that phrase. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So good. Francesco, thank you. Thank you again so much for sharing your wisdom. If you want to learn more about Francesco or follow him on social media, we've included the links to all his handles in the show notes, as well as links to check out his amazing books. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Intentional Fundraiser podcast with me, Tammy Zonker, and keep on transforming your fundraising so you can transform the world. We're back for a final word about Tammy Zonker's training style and what you can expect when you join as a growth member in her Fundraising Transformers community. Here's growth member Jenna Sapluski from the Coalition for Children, Youth, and Families in Milwaukee. Tammy is so encouraging. She's very empowering. She really wants you to succeed in your role. And that really comes through with everything that she does from the monthly coaching calls to the monthly webinars. The guidance I've received from Tammy and other members of the Fundraising Transformers group has always been so constructive, so beneficial 
and you can tell everyone in the group wants everybody else to succeed because we all know what a challenging job it can be to fundraise for our, our wonderful causes and our organizations. You may be asking yourself, can a growth membership really help me improve my fundraising results? Is it worth my time? Laurel Grow from Phoenix Family in Kansas City shared that her organization increased charitable dollars raised by 132% since joining as a growth member. Becky Shambliss from Awake in Anchorage, Alaska shared that her organization increased donor retention from 13% to 69% in about a year using what they learned from Tammy's training. And growth member Amanda Johnson from Multiplying Good in Indianapolis shared that her organization exceeded their annual fundraising goal by 104% and grew overall giving by 13% in one year by applying lessons learned from Tammy as a member of her Fundraising Transformers community. Here's member Stevie Shumate again sharing how she and you can grow your fundraising skills as a growth member of Tammy's Fundraising Transformers community. This is the first fundraising role that I have ever been in before. Um, so at 30 years old, I'm, I'm kind of wondering, well, how do I rocket launch my fundraising expertise? You learn from Tammy Zonker. That's what you do. Become a member of the Fundraising Transformers community. To join our live monthly training and Ask Me Anything sessions and get access to our growing library of on-demand training videos and tools and share lessons learned with other fundraising pros like you in our private and safe online community, visit fundraisingtransform.com growth, click join, and get started today. That's it for this episode of the Intentional Fundraiser Podcast. If you like this podcast, subscribe and download each episode on your favorite podcast platform. Share it on social media with the hashtag, The Intentional Fundraiser, and tag me, Tammy Zonker, and you'll be entered into a drawing for some great swag, books, and courses. And if you like today's show, you might also be interested in becoming a member of my Fundraising Transformer community where I go live twice a month with my members with fundraising training and group coaching to help transform those fundraising issues that keep you awake at night where I pull back the curtain on how you can take your fundraising results to the next level by teaching ways you can improve your development operations create a results driven donor centric development plan strengthen donor relationships improve your donor retention rates and build a raging monthly giving program and a successful major gifts program and how you can approach each day to ensure you'll perform at your highest level so you can be the best fundraiser and the best person you can possibly be. Thank you for showing up and for having the courage and determination to transform your fundraising so you can transform the world. Bye for now.